thing is, Henry Cavill is hot. Yes, he is. He's, uh, what else has he been in? Superman. Ah, yeah, the one that nobody likes, yeah. right? <laughs> I didn't think the one with Zod was that fucking bad. Batman? Did you hate it? No, the, uh, is it Returns? Superman oh, Returns? Oh, yeah, no, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And it had, uh, uh... Budget Sarah. Michael Shannon? Budget Sarah. Budget Michael Sarah. Oh, my... Jesse oh, Eisenberg. Yes, yes, oh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. But that was, no, that was Batman vs. Superman. I thought he was in Superman... Uh-uh. Oh, you're talking about the one from... Long, long time 07. ago. 07. Yes, and it was, uh... I think it was Michael Shannon played Zod. Right, right, right. Yeah. Actually, that was all right. I, I saw that at midnight, and then oh. my mom made me go to school the next day anyway, and it wasn't worth it. <laughs> you know what I watched that I wanted to talk about on here, and maybe... I do believe we have Swedish listeners, so maybe they'll be willing to send <laughs> us an email. We have a couple. So, I've, I've looked at the stats. So, uh, have you guys ever saw the movie Let the Right One In? No. Yeah. Okay, you have. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't give a date for when the time period's supposed to be. Right. But all the Swedish people are dressed like Tom Hanks and Big. Like, okay. they have the short shorts on. And I don't know if that was like, because the movie was made in 2008. So, right. I don't know. Is that Swedish fashion right now? I like, don't they still think, dress in the 80s? I or? don't think they ever went long in the short like we did. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think past the knee is, like, way us, and mid-thigh is very European. <laughs> yeah, and has been. The bowl cuts, too. I oh, love God. the bowl cuts. They love just slapping them. They're, they're a very healthy people, so they're going to show off. I will... I will strongly recommend that movie, though. It's I don't want to see. I'm gonna go. Out, I'm just gonna be a dissenting opinion here. Don't I don't like want to see that much in the male thigh mm. in a shorts. I don't mind them when they're right above the knee. That's kind of where I like to mm. wear mine. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going up further than that, I might see a, a nutsicle. little something. Yeah. Okay. Aren't those? Well, Jordan's probably the fashion person. Aren't those making a comeback? Like the short short oh, man God, shorts. Yeah. Are they? No. Oh, yeah. Stop it. Not for me, though. No. I, I'll give up my cargo shorts, which I'm, I've am i done. Okay. They're gone. They're gone in I'm the I'm going for, for, like, the straight <laughs> short. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, straight, just above the knee. That's right. That's the way to do it, man. Yep. Gray, black. Yep. They come in everything. Is the below or the like, knees gone? Is that done? I think it's... Out. For the most part, unless yeah. we're gonna get out on the court and start hitting some <laughs> basketballs <Yeah>. around, <laughs> that's the only time it's acceptable. Even, even b ballers, even NBA, are going like knee or above these days. Do they get a pick? Yeah, their yeah. outfit. Yeah, okay. well, they can pick like short lengths. Okay, whether or not they wear like something underneath their jersey. Does any, do any of them have like really short uh, shorts? The la- not I mean, at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there a really good European basketball player? I feel like he'd probably be wearing them. That's definitely... The white guys are the ones that are always wearing them up to their balls. See, I was going to say, I could see Giannis being the one that brings back the short shorts. Is he he the uh, European one with long hair? He's the Greek freak. Yeah, he's the The Greek Greek freak freak. from the Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who one of his brothers is also on the Bucks, and another one of his brothers plays for the Lakers. So the whole family lineage. Yeah. Well, there's a fourth yeah. brother who's in like the minors or whatever too for the NBA. I think he's in the Mavericks system. It's but, like okay. well, it's like a successful ball family. <laughs> yeah, and what's cool is I think it was like last week or two weeks ago the Bucks and the Lakers played. So like all three of the brothers did a jersey swap at the end. I that made me wonder. Do you think 
that with Jordan's child on the way, he could start a lineage of, of masonry workers. Oh, Amen. is that something you'd be interested in? Listen, if my kid <laughs> wants to go into the trades, I'll fully support him. Yeah. I'll support him in whatever they want to do. That's right. I'm would, not going to push him in any direction except baseball. I'd love to see like your CRV transformed into a cement truck. I think that would be amazing. Just go buy a ready-mix sunstone. <laughs> yeah, just set it right on top of there and just get her spinning <laughs> while you're doing whatever you do on your day-to-day basis. <laughs> Going to the grocery store, getting diapers, whatever. Well, we're having pancakes for dinner, so we'll just throw all of this in the top. Oh, perfect. Be ready to go by the time we perfect. get home. Consistent Call batter. Amy be like, heat up the griddle. That's right. <laughs> Daddy's going to pour something on the stove tonight. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about this week? It's a four-part series. Oh, oh my gosh, am I clairvoyant? No, <laughs> I see the notes. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me is Cody. Hello, Cody. Hello. How are you this week? I'm doing good. It was uh, Christmas week. I had a good Christmas, obviously. I... I uh, ate so much, I drove home with a tummy ache. Which drove is, home uh, with a full tummy. <laughs> yes, and it, it slowly went away by the time I made home. But uh, you know what's... F- uh, I don't know if it's because it's been raining or whatever, but uh, man, I think I feel like my allergies are flared up. I do too, kind of. So I, like, I woke up this morning and my voice was all raspy. I'm like, mm. fuck, are we going to be able to do this? But uh feeling better right now. I'll hold up, hopefully. Do you got a coffee on you? I got a coffee on That's, you. Well, we're halfway there then. <laughs> I mean, not episode-wise. <laughs> I wanted some tea. Tea always helps me. Tea's a good one. But oh, I yeah. didn't feel like driving to go get any, so we had a dilemma. Yeah, the <laughs> dilemma being three no. blocks away. It's cold out. I don't want to go out it's there. Cold. It's actually kind of nice out. It's pretty. It's not it's that cold. <laughs> well, it it's was, like pushing forty. It was your text message yesterday. Was literally, hey, I fell three times going to the store down the street. <laughs> yeah, no, yesterday was stupid as fuck. <laughs> it was it's the worst. It was. I was watching gifs of kids skating around on, <laughs> oh, on <yeah>. the sidewalks. <laughs> Man, my mom posted a video on Facebook from our hometown of one of the county plow trucks going down Main Street. And it was coming to a stoplight to stop, and the rear end just, like, kicked out and Ooh. just smoked someone's car that was sitting on the street. I'm like, well, that, yeah. that 1999 Buick LeSabre is totaled. <laughs> Dude, just down here, there's a little tiny road, um, and there was four cars in the ditch yesterday right. just sitting just there. Sit, I'm yeah. like, how did you even do this? There's Man. one kid still sitting in the car. What road was it? Um... Okay, you know where Henry Sibley is? It's like yeah. the road before that when you turn on Delaware, and it's the backside of the golf course. It's oh. like a little tiny road, and there's like really big-ass fucking houses on the uh, Is it the Marie? Left. It probably is. I don't know. It's Marie or Wentworth. But there's like just four fucking cars just sitting in the ditch there. I'm just hey. like, all right. Even sometimes, no matter how gently you feather the gas pedal... If the ice decides you're going a direction, and then mm. your car starts going that direction, it's true. You, you you're can't done. brake, you can't do anything. <laughs> you're going wherever the ice takes you. Absolutely not. Or how about that uh, video of the school bus in Eden Prairie? That what was, was it doing? Uh, 
It was sliding through an intersection sideways. Jeez. I wonder if it had kids in there. <laughs> Fucking probably, dude. Drifting. They got a hell of a ride. It was probably like drift. A, a traveling hockey team or something. Donkey Kong? <laughs> Drift King. Uh, also sitting with me today is Jordan. Hello, Jordan. Hello. You, we already basically all talked about the ice storm, so what yep. did you do? Oh, yeah, you weren't here for fucking Faustmas. You yeah. died. You I, came back from the dead. Whew, that was... I wrote a whole goddamn episode around you <laughs> with jokes that only you would get. Yeah, uh, the food from my company work party decided to fight back in a real bad way on you, Saturday. Give you a big poo-poo? A, a lot of big poo-poos. Yeah. So, so, so you learn an important lesson that maybe masonry, masonry workers aren't the best cooks, perhaps? That it, might be. Or that I should not eat Chicken Romano from the Medina entertainment center uh, anymore you yeah. heard it here first boys don't eat anything out of an entertainment center <laughs> no it's not, never. It's not worthwhile never dvds xboxes don't do it <laughs> but i mean on the plus side i got this nice comfy sweatshirt you are a nice you hat. are you are dripping you are dripping <laughs> you got dropped in the lake you're dripping so hard all right uh that's everybody here right yeah. Yep. Well, we're 10 minutes in, so you know what that means. The Facebook reviewer might have turned us off already. Mm. The one that doesn't like the 10 minutes of fame. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Well, we'll we'll get in here. Uh, like you mentioned, this I, I'm not for certain if it'll be four parts, but it'll at least be three to four. Um, but anyway, let's get started. And by the end of this, we can finally build our con man... Mount Rushmore, so that's the end goal. Okay, this whole saga. So we got to okay. put them in order at the very end. Perfect, perfect. I'm so excited. So anyway, why don't we start off this saga with a little bit of foreshadowing? I'd like it. The date is July 24th, 1920, in the city of Boston. A man named John Collins had just been hired to be the personal motor car chauffeur for the main character in our story. Driver for the st- chauffeur for the stars. <laughs> He was driving the newly purchased Locomobile Limousine, which was the creme de la creme of luxury, including horsehair seat cushions. You're kidding Ooh, me. <laughs> that is what I fucking want, You are baby. kidding me. Hell yeah. Have you ever heard of that car before? No. I this In this book, it's the first time I've ever heard of a fucking Locomobile. I don't even Locomobile. know. Locomobile. I can only imagine, like, if you had one now, they have to be worth a shit ton, sure. right? Yeah. It's a crazy mobile limousine. Basically. That's insane. It was the most expensive vehicle available in 1920, carrying the price tag of $12,600 in comparison. That's more than my CRV. <laughs> in comparison, a normal person could purchase 20 Model T's and a modest house for that same amount of money. So you could either open up a Model <laughs> T taxi company yes. or buy this one car. Yeah, All so right. apparently this guy's a baller, right? Yeah. Either way, John would soon arrive at 27 School Street, which was where the firm called Security Exchange Company was located. Ooh. There were swarms of people holding the Boston Post outside the building, just hoping to catch a glimpse of the financial genius, and if if they were lucky enough, perhaps get some of their money invested. Oh, boy. On the front page of this particular Boston Post, you would see a headline that announced America's yacht Resolute 
had just defeated Britain's Shamrock 4 in America's Cup race. Thank Fuck goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the yacht races are always uh, an important time of the year, and I'm so happy Shamrock 4 was taken down. USA! Yeah. USA! Can you, imagine getting a, can you imagine getting excited about a yacht race? Sounds like a bunch of 1920s rich white people shit <laughs> to me. Basically what it, it was. And it still sounds like some 2019 rich white people <laughs> shit. <laughs> but... That was not what everyone was so excited about. They were excited about the story that read... Doubles the money within three months. The Post reporter had just interviewed the financial guru and tried to find out the secrets of his success, which, we will find out, was almost unbelievable. He would describe how his empire was erected so quickly, having branches now located all over the East Coast. <laughs> erected. <laughs> <laughs> this man... While not exactly the creator of the scheme, certainly brought it into popularity in the United States. We are still plagued by these tricksters attempting to take advantage of the downtrodden, although this particular individual, I believe, may have just gotten in way over his head. Mm. The man we will be discussing in this multi-part series is none other than Charles Ponzi. And if that name rings a bell... That's because, yes, Ponzi schemes will forever be named after him. Hell yeah. That's the way it works. It's it's always the second guy. There's the man that invents it, and then there's the guy that perfects it, which is Mr. Ponzi. Down the road in the later episodes, when we really start getting into, like, him starting to create it, it we'll talk about the history of some of the people who who really started the Mm. whole thing. And uh, believe it or not churches were involved oh so. my god <laughs> believe it guess what i believe it so anyway i want to acknowledge uh the source it's ponzi scheme by mitchell zakoff uh actually Zuckoff. <laughs> i'll say this mitchell zakoff uh this is an amazing book it's one it's one of the rare non-fiction books i can say actually like draws you in you yeah you were I'm gripped saying? yeah it's yeah. not like really fucking dry like so many of these goddamn books I we've know. read so it's like jesus yeah, christmas give it, me something juicy to bite down on he, here he puts he really puts you like in the early 1900s era which i love and love it's it. fascinating to hear about so now while there is a difference between a ponzi scheme and a pyramid scheme they both are designed to essentially rip people off. Pyramid schemes just seem to be quote-unquote legal. Mm. Obviously, we will be going much deeper into what Ponzi himself is doing throughout the saga and how he created the most infamous scheme in history. Either way, back with the newspaper article, Ponzi had somewhat of a poetic quote that topped it off, Ponzi said. I get no pleasure out of spending money on myself, (laughs) or a great deal in doing some good with it. Mm. Always I have said to myself, if I can get one million dollars, I can live with all the comfort I want for the rest of my life. (laughs) Mm. If I get more than one million dollars, I will spend all over and above the one million trying to do some good in the world. Now I have the million. (laughs) That I have put aside. If my business closed tomorrow, I am sure that I will have that amount on which to make myself and my family comfortable for the rest of our days. Mm. So Ponzi, at this point in time, was estimated to have a total wealth in excess of $8.5 million. (laughs) I mean, that's still a lot of fucking money today. Oh, yeah, it is. Fuck yes, it is. Yeah, but but, but the $8.5 million, I guess... 
if I guess they say you can't have one till you have two, but for Mister Ponzi, you can't have one till you have eight point five. <laughs> See, but when's he, he gonna start spreading it out? He's saying he's giving it all back to the people now. When here? Well, we'll find out. All right. While a man like Ponzi certainly was feeling himself after his article in the paper, what made him even more happy was the ad for Cosmopolitan Trust Company. That was right next to his article. (laughs) They were trying to drum up business with promises of 5% interest earned yearly. Hey, that's a good APY. Mm. Hold on. But Ponzi's company was promising 50% interest earned in just 45 days. Double your money. Sign me the fuck up. (laughs) The choice was pretty simple for most people, such as bookbinder Arthur Case, who had just invested 3000 just a week after his wife Clara had invested 1000 mm. Candy factory worker William Hoff emptied his wallet to invest $78. <laughs> Florist Philip Feinstein had just invested $1,100, and stable worker Timothy Donovan had just invested his $50. That's his last Ooh. 50 You know that's his only 50 <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He scoops horse poop. <laughs> Luggage shop owner Joseph Perlstein hmm. was not at the company to deposit his money, but with a note signed by Ponzi himself that he could collect his $1,500. 14-year-old Frank Thomas, who had saved up $7.20 for running errands, was ready to make some cold, hard-earned cash. Listen, on the streets. (laughs) Young investor, that kid's got a future. Yes. Carmela Atavi had just invested $2,000. Even Ponzi's own chauffeur, John Collins, had invested $500. Oh, man, you don't shit where you eat. No. That's true. That's your driver. He knows all your secrets, <laughs> man. Don't rip him off. Anyway, you guys get the idea. People on the East Coast were in a frenzy to get their 50% interest on their investments. Back to the front door of his firm, Ponzi finally would exit his locomobile Someone from the crowd shouted, There's Ponzi! (laughs) If you were there, you would notice Ponzi was a handsome man with Mm. a regal nose, dimpled chin, and full lips that curved upward. In a juicy little smile? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he had a hell of a grin. Hell yes, a winning grin. Let's see if Jordan likes his outfit here. On his head was a golfing cap. Yes, underneath, already. <laughs> underneath said hat was brown hair with specks of gray, slicked down, and razor parted on the left side Ooh. with a low pompadour in the front. All right. He was wearing a new Palm Beach suit with a silk handkerchief. His shoes were impeccably polished and clacked on the sidewalk. His collar was starched white with a dark silk tie, and he topped it off with a dazzling diamond-topped pin and a gold-handled Malacca walking stick. Listen, this guy's got some fucking style. Yeah, he's pimped. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> he's G'd up. You know what was funny? I was watching, earlier this week, I watched the 1922 Wolfman. Yeah? And the, the great movie, by the sure. way. But people's obsession with fashion canes oh, never understand yeah. it i'll oh. never fucking understand listen it. i think they were more for in case you need to uh smack a bitch mm, well he got and a by cane. bitch i mean just anyone who gets on yeah like vagrants <laughs> yeah. yeah another man from the crowd yelled out i'd like to see the man who could do it ponzi interrupted him saying well i'm doing it i'm the man <laughs> With the popularity Ponzi was experiencing, he needed to hire extra security 
So he had hired a few bodyguards from the Pinkerton National Pinkerton. Detective Agency, <laughs> which rented out agents when they weren't chasing the Red Menace or bank robbers. That's right. They need to bring those back. I want us to have a few Pinkertons in the house. No, you don't. They're very bad. They're a private detective agency that was basically given full martial status. Ponzi himself carried a 25 Colt automatic for protection. Uh, do you think that's actually an automatic pistol? Uh, yeah, 1920, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, they considered automatic pistols just the automatic loading, so oh, semi-automatic gotcha. is what it was. Yeah. Okay. As Ponzi made his way inside his office, he greeted all of his employees who were extremely busy with all the people who were wanting to come in to invest with Security Exchange Company. Of course, 50%. Yeah, they're going to be popping, baby. Fuck yeah. A few of his workers rushed to tell him they had a problem. The problem was a company that had just opened right next door to them called Old Colony Foreign Exchange Company. Why did they move to this location right next to Ponzi's firm? Well, they were promising the exact same thing as him. 50% interest earned in 45 days. Basically, they were counting on the fact that people would get confused and assume they were Ponzi's company or those who were tired of waiting in line would head over to their company. Just walk in a different building. Yeah. Like, oh, I thought Come this was Ponzi. <laughs> Ponzi said, They had me by the smile of the neck, and the best <laughs> I could do was a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> He knew they were just scam artists and tricksters. Uh, takes one to know one. <laughs> <laughs> His plan was to sick the Pinkertons on them. While they couldn't just outright rough them up, they could dig up dirt on them, but that was going to take a little time. Yeah, yeah. So he contacted the Boston Police Department to help. And he said, hey, you lace-cutting <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> and they weren't about to say no because about two-thirds of the force sure. was also invested in his company. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Boy, it's great how they these scam artists dig themselves in like ticks. <laughs> yeah. Like, same with uh, our, old, our old boy Soapy. He yeah. just ingratiated yep. himself with the police force, the local <clears throat> government. He made himself a commodity. Yep. And it seems like this son of a bitch <laughs> did the but same thing. Exactly just doing. like anyone else, you're replaceable. That's right, son. <laughs> so the force would send down Detective Joseph Cavagnaro. Yeah, it sounds good to me. Sounds like a guinea to me. <laughs> One of Ponzi's personal confidants. In the meantime, Ponzi made his way where Old Colony was operating. He could hear the burly man working for Old Colony yelling, Right this way, a new million dollar company. <laughs> The burly man took notice of Ponzi standing there and said, Ah, Mr. Ponzi, want to put in 2000 <laughs> Mister, if you've got 2000 you'd better hang on to it for bail. Ooh. There'll be a couple of police inspectors down to see you <laughs> in a few moments. <laughs> now, the detective would arrive shortly afterwards and inspect Old Colony, but told Ponzi he couldn't find any wrongdoings. Ponzi wasn't worried, though. Just the thought of the police digging into Old Colony's business would be enough to perhaps make them scared. Sure. The police were watching when them. When the heat's on, baby, you know? <laughs> Either way, at the end of the day, Ponzi's company would take in roughly $200,000 in investments. Mm, holy fuck. And Ponzi said, hey, I better make my way home now. Mm -hmm. Feeling that he had accomplished another successful day, certainly feeling himself about the positive publicity in the Boston Post, he probably believed he was on top of the world. Definitely. But, unbeknownst to him, fresh off the presses from the Boston Post was another article. Fake news. This article was the polar opposite of the fluff piece that had been published earlier 
that same day. This article was about to open the floodgates and shed light on Ponzi's company. Oh, no. So, we'll come back to that I much get, later uh, on. It's the way it goes. It Same with Soapy. Every time they ran him out of fucking town, yeah. it was the dang media writing shit about him. It was the fake news media. Fake news. I will say this. When we get through Ponzi, the book covers the uh, basically the guy who ran the post mm-hmm. and was uh, telling the story about him. That guy, we might just do Ponzi and then one episode on just that guy, because him, his story of the Boston Post is fucking astounding. It's so cool. He's like the editor-in-chief of it? Or yeah. Like, oh, that's... He basically, the Boston Post was dead. Yes. And he rose it from the ashes, and oh. now it's like uh, what it is now. Yeah, it's huge. It's like, one of the main three papers. You know who uh, who taught him was uh, Pulitzer. Pulitzer. A Pulitzer, yeah. He uh, he trained the guy who then reopened the Boston Post. It's insane. I can't think of a better mentor for a newspaper, <laughs> no. man. Yeah, no shit. I was reading this like, can this really be that fucking guy? <laughs> Holy shit, it's crazy, man. Now, who exactly is Charles Ponzi? How did he get to this point in his life? Ponzi was born on March 3rd, 1882 in Lugo, Italy. I assume that's what it's called, right? Oh, yeah. You would be correct. Okay. I didn't know. Italians have weird ways of pronouncing things. Yes, they do. (laughs) A town populated with merchants and farmers, Ponzi's parents at the time of his birth were living with his widowed maternal grandmother in an apartment at number 950 Via... Via Cotalunga. Okay, we'll go with that. Just down the street, you would enter the ghetto... In the ghetto. ...where Lugo's large Jewish community had been forced to live since the 1700s. Ah... I, I didn't see. know they were doing that Here's there, the thing. But, yeah. Here's the problem. <laughs> Around that time, every European power was expelling the Jewry uh, from their country. Okay. Yeah. So it shouldn't be a surprise Italy did it, too. Yeah, it's just mm, the way... Yeah. It just... It was the fashion of the time. Mm. Not to mention, where is Rome? Where is the Popa? Right. Okay. Italy, my didn't friend. even think about that. Now, Charles Ponzi was not his birth name. His birth name was actually... Carlo Pietro Giovanni Guglielmo Teblado Panzi. Wow. Imagine writing that on a fucking name tag. Holy shit. Jesus. <laughs> that is five names in there, sir. <laughs> Two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> six, six, six names. Now, he was named after his grandfathers, and yeah, he would be an, fool me. <laughs> he would be an only child. Oh. Now, Ponzi's father was named... Arrest Ponzi, and his mother's <laughs> name was Emilade Ponzi. Emilde. Emilde. Emilde and Oreste. So Orest was a postman in Lugo. Hmm. His mother, Emilde, seemed to be a stay-at-home wife and mother. Sounds but, right for the time, anyway. Yep. But what is important about Emilde was her family lineage. They came from people considered to be high class. Uh-huh. Her father was an official of the Civil and Criminal Court of Parma, Ooh, the cheese court. (laughs) You think that's where the cheese was created, Jordan? Yes. (laughs) Her father, mother, and grandparents all bore titles of Don or Donna, which placed them around the aristocracy in the Duchy of Parma. So they're very important Yeah, they're at the very least courtiers, (laughs) you know what I mean? Courtiers. So did, did like, the mafia just take the Don and Donna from... That's Actual just the, titles? Yeah, it's yeah. just like sir, ma'am. Mm, you know, okay. Boss. Gotcha. This is kind of important because it will somewhat explain Ponzi's outlook all throughout his life. 
Now, Imelde would always believe that her beloved son would restore her family to high social and financial standings, sure. dreaming of a future where Ponzi would become a lawyer or a judge. Oh, I, hey, real quick. Mm. You know what this sounds like? What? I just finished Sharp Objects. Oh, And this oh, sounds yes. like... That's a great fucking show, by it's the way. It's real fucking good. But this sounds like her family. Like, trashy, but noble for the really? for Missouri, yeah. you know what I mean? Okay. Like and white they, trash class. Do they so do they want her to be accomplish some goal or something too? Or is it just they're just people of high standing? She's nuts and she yeah. wants her daughters to be like mirror images of her. You know, like perfect little dolls basically. Ah, so. Okay. And be the new white trash queens of <laughs> Missouri. We're gonna learn though, Amelde is a very sweet woman. Oh, is She's she? not okay. as crazy as it sounds She's right now. She's not as crazy as uh yeah. what's what's her name, the actress? Amy Adams. No, 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 no. The mom. Patricia Clarkson. Yep. Patty ah, Clarkson. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> She's scary. <laughs> now, after Ponzi was born, they would first move to Rome, but then decided to return to northern Italy and settle in the town of Parma. When Ponzi was five, he would enter the Parma public school system, but by ten, they decided to try to help out his future by placing him in a prestigious private boarding school, mm-hmm. a school founded by Napoleon's second wife, Princess Mary Louise, or Princess Marie Louise, or is it Mary? Mar- it's Mary. Mary Marie, I don't know. Marie Louise. Okay, was Napoleon a, uh, a bigamist, or? A bi- no, 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 no. No, no, he, he just, just had a second yes, wife. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so apparently she ruled this particular providence for about thirty years. Okay, so. after he conquered it, yeah, nice run, yeah, yeah. nice run. That's a so- <laughs> yeah, it's a solid run. Well, that's like damn near ninety years old now. So back then, you'd expect her to be dead. So while at school, Ponzi would impress the nuns with his ability to speak fluent French as well as accom- accomplishing very good grades. Mm. Now it seemed like Ponzi was essentially forced to live at the school and could only visit his parents on occasional weekends and holidays. That sounds fucking horrible. Yeah. (laughs) While attending this boarding school, he couldn't return home, and then his father would pass away, Uh, which is very sad. So he couldn't even go in from the... No, he passed away. I'm sure you got to fucking know, like, hey, your dad's dead. (sighs) Who wants to ever hear that? That sounds horrible. Deal with it. So, with a modest inheritance from his father and some from his aunt, it would allow Ponzi to attend a college, just as his mother had wanted. He would choose the University of Rome, the city's oldest university, founded 600 years earlier. Damn. That is an old fucking school. straight out of the Dark Ages. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think they taught there? I, I, this has to still be Pasta there, right? Making? Absolutely. They Fuck. didn't close it down in the last hundred. It makes me there. wonder what the oldest college like in the world is. Uh, it's in Saudi or somewhere. It's is in it? the, yeah, there's like the, gosh, Yasin was just telling me about How it. How old is it? Ancient. Like really? it goes back to ancient times. Ah, uh, okay, Rome, you got some catching up to do. Yes. So while attending college, Ponzi would recall his mother's stories of the family's previous social standings it would start gravitating towards the wealthier kids who lived in la dolce vita la dolce vita meaning the sweet life hell yeah he wanted to fit in with them so badly 
So obviously, at first, his inheritance seemed endless. So he would purchase the latest European fashion trends, Mm. pick up tabs at restaurants Mm. for his friends, and spend even more on the pretty girls he had met. While the rich children Ponzi was attempting to be like treated the university as more of a vacation, Ponzi shouldn't have acted the way he did. He would skip class frequently, instead choosing to spend his time roaming the city's fashionable neighborhoods, hanging out in cafes, attending theaters and operas. At night, he would join the gamblers and crooks in the casinos of Rome's underground scene. That sounds like an amazing time. Yeah, I was just going to say, that sounds fun as fuck. (laughs) I would much rather be hanging out with hot-ass Italian Mm -hmm. Roman chicks. Then I would be going to the college. So this made it sound like he had to go in an underground type of thing. Do you think gambling was not legal? Had to be, right? Right. Had I, to be. I don't know. Unless he's just like, he's getting into, involved in some games we'll never hear about. This, yeah. When I was reading this particular section, it kept reminding me of Rounders. Oh, I love Remember it. Remember that? <laughs> it's, my, it's one of my favorite movies. It's so good. KGB. Of course, Ponzi was telling his mother constantly that he was prospering at school and getting good grades. Mm. But it obviously was all a farce. He would have to face the hard truth that he had exhausted all of his his inheritance and would have to leave Rome and face his mother. Probably the hardest thing you could ever oof, have to do. Oof. God, I, I don't know how much money he exactly had, but he blew through it very fucking fast. Now, prior to Ponzi's father's death, his father had asked one of Ponzi's uncle to kind of watch over his son, keep him on the right track. Sure. Be a positive male influence. Exactly. I believe he said he was really young, so he could probably be on the same level as Ponzi. Gotcha. So now that Ponzi was a college dropout, his uncle told him he should get an entry-level job and start making something of himself. What did Ponzi do? Well, he flat out refused to work for any sort of menial job. Mm. With him acting like his rich friends from college for so long, he now seemed to view himself as a high-class citizen and was not about to work for anything he felt was beneath him. Hey, he knows his worth. I get. Well, this is a hard time in history, dude. You can't yeah. be too picky. Not for Charlie Ponzi, who just <laughs> blew through his daddy's money and... Now he's, he's got he, a, now he's a dickhead. He's got nice suits at least. Yeah, the latest fashion. <laughs> yeah. So with that, so with Ponzi's refusal to get a job, his uncle told him, "Poor uneducated Italian boys go to America and make <laughs> lots of money. You have a good education. You are refined and have a good family. You should be able to make a fortune in America easily." <laughs> Now, there was a little bit of a myth that Europeans had developed about the United States. It was as said. The streets are actually paved with gold. (laughs) All you have to do is stoop and pick it up. I have heard that from actual immigrants. Really? Yeah. Dexter. You remember Dexter from work? Yeah. He thought there was gold streets? He thought the streets (laughs) were lined with gold before he moved here. Does he not know if they were? People would be chipping it away and stealing it? He thought it it wouldn't matter. Like we're in a Star Trek utopia (laughs) where it's a cashless society. Now, Ponzi knew his mother was supremely disappointed in the fact that he had dropped out of college as a failure. Perhaps America would be the perfect spot for him to redeem himself. Yeah, it's the land of opportunity. (laughs) Exactly. 
So Ponzi packed his best clothes and was set to head to America. His family would purchase him a steamship ticket and gave him $200 cash to get established. The American dream. They, exactly. they really believe in this little boy. No, they definitely do. On November 3rd, 1903, Ponzi boarded the SS Vancouver headed for Boston. Now, the SS Vancouver could carry 2,000 immigrants, and the trip itself would take roughly two weeks. Ugh. Most of the passengers would spend the $25 for their ticket, which got them a seat in the steerage area of the sheep located deep in the bowels, which, mind you, for a lot of them was literally all the money that they had. Here's your seat for two weeks. Yeah. Enjoy. They took their life savings to come to America and hope to accomplish something, which is admiral. Oh. You'd, you'd be forced to sleep on the iron pipes below. Most of them would spend the entire two weeks on their perch because it was so crowded. From the rocking of the ship, you'd be hit with dirt from the smokestacks. Great. The food was barely even edible. Water was oftentimes salty. Hmm. Mind you, the only places where you'd eat is where you slept or on shelving. Toilets were overused and poorly ventilated, not to mention because people were getting seasick. Mm. Oftentimes, the entire area reeked of vomit. <laughs> Imagine being sick and having to lay on a burlap sack full of seaweed with a life preserver as a pillow. Ugh. Oof, that is bad. Ugh. Now, a lot of the passengers were from southern Italy, which at the time was particularly poor. Here's what I'm going to say. Yes. Uh... I, I'm still going to complain, flying coach. I don't care that it's three hours and mildly uncomfortable. I'm still going to complain. I'm yeah. sorry, Italians, but we're past that. This is my struggle now. Yes. If you had an airplane seat made of seaweed, that'd be amazing. That would be rad. I bet they would sell that as like a new age hippie invention. Like, we, our planes have seaweed seats, bro. You know, we're going to learn throughout this saga Back then, they really liked to make bedding out of very weird things. Sure, <laughs> we sure. have horsehair seats. We got sea s- fucking seaweed uh, beds. It's insane. Now, our boy Ponzi, he was of a higher class citizen from northern Italy, mm. which apparently was very common for the people of northern Italy to look down on the people from southern Italy. I guess it still happens. Those Genoans, man, they, they hate it. They I, hate the they hate the part of the boot down below I f- there. I feel like you should probably let it go by this point. It's yeah. time. <laughs> it's time to let the old rival. But maybe we should stop hating Wisconsin. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. Actually, that's still that's still pretty fresh. <laughs> Either way, you'd probably assume at this point, finally, Ponzi had to face some adversity and live in shit conditions for a few weeks. I don't think so. But Ponzi was among the 64 people who paid the extra $20 for second-class cabins. Nice. Which included more comfortable sleeping areas and obviously a lot less crowding. Ponzi, though, always told everybody for the rest of his life that he was actually a first-class passenger, which we know for certain is not true at all. I'm not sure why he would want to lie about that, <laughs> but he... I don't know. Why would you lie about I that? Know. I don't know. It, it, isn't it better if you came from the absolute the bottom? Like, yeah. if he came from the steerage compartment yeah. of the SS Vancouver, now he has $8.5 million fucking dollars. Yeah. That's a hell of a jump. Unless he's just so, like, narcissistic that he's like, I've been powerful since day one. I, he definitely fucking is. Sure. 
So as for the two hundred dollars his family gave him, yeah. Ponzi got a bit distracted by a card shark aboard oh, no. the ship. Oh no! And by the time he reached Boston, he had two dollars and fifty cents of the two hundred dollars uh, oh, left. Damn it, Chucky! <laughs> He's such a fucking idiot. <laughs> The steamer would finally reach Boston on November 17th, 1903. The immigrants would get their first whiffs of America via Splendor Macaroni Company mm. and a fish glue plant. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Which I can only imagine was not a pleasant smell. Well, fish smells great. Glue <laughs> smells great. Let's combine these mofos. <laughs> Either way, Ponzi made his way off the ship and would speak with the inspector. He lied and told him he was just a student to gain entry, but had to swear that he was not a polygamist, a cripple, or mm. otherwise infirm, and that he had never went to prison or lived in a poorhouse, mm. which were apparently questions you'd get asked asked upon entering America. Weird. Uh, why do they care about a polygamist so much? That's that, what I, I don't, don't know. Uh, Against I mean, Christian I, morals? I, mean, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It was weird. And living in a poorhouse, like, wh- why? I don't know. I don't Obviously, they're not fact-checking any of it. Yeah. So Ponzi said that even though he only had $2.50 left, with his nice suit, he looked like... A million dollars just out of the mid. Mm. (laughs) Confidence out the roof, baby. killing it. (laughs) Now, it seems his mother had foresaw her son most likely losing his money, (laughs) so so she had already pre-purchased him a ticket to Pittsburgh (laughs) to stay with... Some fifth cousin of some third cousin of ours. <laughs> it sounds like an Italian family. Yeah. We're all related somehow. So two days before he even reached Pittsburgh, Ponzi was feeling a bit of regret for even coming to America. Yeah. He was starving. He had little money. He spoke no English, had no marketable skills. Now, the train to Pittsburgh had a stopover in New York, and apparently Ponzi had bolted from the train in search of some food. He just so happened to run into an Irish police officer who figured he was running because he had just stolen something. Sure. If it wasn't for an Italian boot black, he definitely would have been headed for jail. Do you guys know what an Italian boot black is? No. Uh, I'm assuming it's a shoe polisher. You are correct. Okay. I had to look that up. Okay. Because I was reading, I'm like, what the fuck is a boot? I thought it was like a translation book or something. No, it's just a, a nice fellow sitting there. Nice. Nice. <laughs> black your boots for you. <laughs> So Ponzi would finally arrive in Pittsburgh and live with his distant relatives in an Italian rooming house. Mm, not a poorhouse, mind you. No, a rooming, rooming house. house. Now, during this time, Ponzi strongly considered writing to his family asking for help, but he was just too damn prideful. Mm. He didn't want to let his mother down for a second time. He was just going to have to bite the bullet and do what he could do to survive and hopefully become successful doing it. Hey, trial by combat, baby. Right. Hell yeah. Over the next four years, Ponzi would work as a grocery clerk, a road drummer, a factory (laughs) hand, and a dishwasher. He repaired sewing machines, pressed shirts, painted signs, sold insurance, and waited tables. Jesus. He's got a little view in him, Jordan. Oh, yeah. Definitely. (laughs) He never could seem to work anywhere for too long. He would just get fired, sometimes just quit in disgust, or just quit to avoid being fired. He would travel up and down the East Coast. Sometimes he would find himself sleeping in parks when he couldn't afford a bed. One time, he managed to save up quite a bit of money but would end up blowing it in a two-week spending spree at Coney Island. God Why would you? He can't help himself. <laughs> 
It had been so long since he had been able to purchase a new outfit, his expensive silk clothes had begun to turn to shreds. Oh, you got to care for silk. <laughs> you have to. Four years of wearing the same fucking suit is not mm. going to hold up, dude. <laughs> During this time in America, he changed his name from Carlo to Charles. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he would use the new last name, Bianchi, meaning white, to match his skin <laughs> skin complexion. Other times he would say his last name was Ponce, Ponce or Ponce, which is P-O-N-P-O-Ponce? Ponce. Ponce. Are they all Ponce? No, one of them was Ponzi. Ponce and Ponce. Yeah, it's basically because Italian was not standardized in American. Apparently, Ponzi was too hard to say. It's like in uh, The Sopranos when Phil Leotardo, he's like, <laughs> My, I, I ruined our family name. We were originally Leonardo. And when we got to Ellis Island, it got changed to Leotardo. <laughs> he would then grow a beautiful mustache mm -hmm. and begin... <laughs> And became fluent in English to go along with his French and Italian. Pick up another language, bro. With finally being able to speak English, more job opportunities would open up for him. So in July of 1907, he scrapped together what he could and bought a train ticket headed for Montreal. <laughs> when he finally arrived, he had no baggage and a single dollar in his pocket. Dang. He walked up Rue St. Jacques, I assume that's what it is, the Canadian Wall Street, and then passed a row of skyscrapers. Uh -oh. Apparently, New York or Boston or New York must not be what we think of it today back then. You know, you like where they have, maybe Canada was ahead of New York at this time. That's what it kind of sounded like, like Montreal hmm. was the fucking shit sure. at this point. So, sure. so about two, two blocks from the Canadian Wall Street, he saw a sign for an Italian bank called Banco Zerosi, calling himself Charles Bianchi. He made himself as presentable as possible and marched right through the front door. Five minutes later, he was hired as a clerk. Yeah, confidence. Fin <laughs> Finally, Ponzi believed he had achieved a job worthy of his skills and self-image. A bank teller. <laughs> yep. Never mind you, it was the type of job he would turn down while in Italy. <laughs> That's how you know you've reached fucking desperation. Definitely. <laughs> now, around this time, Canada had its own wave of Italian immigrants entering the country. While a good-sized population of Italian immigrants lived in Montreal, most of them would be gone for months at a time, working in the coal mines of Nova Scotia or clearing forests for the Canadian Pacific Railway. Sure. But there was a problem. Most of the banks of Montreal were controlled by British or Scottish financiers. That's because they mm. never overthrew Britain from mm. their land. But uh, apparently there's a lot of discrimination. I didn't know... Canada had so many Italian immigrants. Oh, yeah. Did you? You know Oh, yeah. That? You, I didn't know did they you had ever that watch, many. Uh, did you ever watch What's the Nucky show? Oh, Boardwalk Empire? Yeah. They were, oh. getting, they were getting the shit from the Canadian mafia. Oh. Sending, sending that shit down. Unfortunately, we won't talk to, about mobster, Italian mobsters to part two. Right. So okay. Dang it. <laughs> So Banco's roast. All these Italian names just get me get I, my <laughs> get my mobster boner pumping, you know. <clears throat> we'll be talking about some, don't worry. <laughs> was one of the banks specifically created for the Italians. The bank's owner was named Luigi Louis Zerosi and decided to form the business after formerly being in the cigar business. Mm. Quite a jump there. Mm. 
Now, apparently, the Italian bank business was getting quite competitive around this time. Luigi had set up his bank right across the street from Antonio Cardasco. <laughs> I don't know how to yeah. say it. Antonio yeah. Cardasco's bank, mm-hmm. which at the which at this time, Antonio was the city's richest and most powerful padron. Padron? How about padrone? Padrone, I think I just mean the godfather, right? Padrone. So Antonio had such an extensive network of agents and sub-agents located in Italy and Canada that he kept a constant flow of Italian immigrant workers coming and going. Wow. Antonio actually declared himself... King of Montreal's Italian workers. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of cocky, but hey. So Luigi had a plan. Antonio was offering his clients a 2% return on interest. So Luigi would offer his clients 3% interest with a 3% bonus interest. And honestly, this was a brilliant move because people around this time were very weary of the greedy bankers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, we still are. We should be more than we are now. So apparently my understanding was uh, Antonio's bank w- would accumulate 3% interest, but they would only give you 2%. They would keep the 1%. Right. So they really, people really didn't like that. Right. Because they're cutting your profits. Basically. They're cutting your profits and they're using your money. They're yeah. spreading it all around the place. Doing whatever with it. Well, like making it. this guy rich as fuck. That's apparently. right. That's right. <laughs> So, on the surface, this appeared to make Banco Zorosi less greedy. Now, as you could imagine, a man like Antonio was pissed and some say was not opposed to shady tactics to get revenge. But Antonio just left it alone because he assumed there was no way a bank could sustain that level of interest. Playing the long game. He's yeah. saying the they're going to fold. There's no way they can keep this <laughs> farce up. I'm not going to rise to this. I feel like this Antonio guy might have been a mobster. What do you think? <laughs> I'd, I'd say you're on to something. <laughs> At the very it. least, super related to them. When you you ship, you're importing and exporting people, I feel like you're yes. doing something there. Like human yeah. trafficking? I'm not yeah. sure if that's what that is, but it seems that way. It's like illegal human trafficking. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure all of them wanted to be there. Yeah. I'm you sure none workers, of them I were... can have 50 in a fortnight. <laughs> I'm sure none of them were repaying debts to powerful no, people. absolutely not. <laughs> so Banco's Rossi boomed and Ponzi boomed with it. Ponzi found something that he seemed particularly good at. He was almost, he was always presentable. He knew how to talk to customers, especially the female ones, which he was constantly flirting with. Yeah. Oh, you dog. <laughs> it didn't take long for Ponzi to be promoted to the position of bank manager. Congrats, oh, baby. shit. Hell so yeah, he's, he's booming, baby. But... Then that pesky 6% interest deal started to poke its head. To try to make it work, Luigi was purposely delaying any money the immigrant workers were sending to their families in in Italy because he knew he could just blame it on the mailing system. Oh, yes. He was stopping their payments? Yeah, he was... He was instead using that money to pay out the interest for those who were demanding wow. it right now. Yeah, okay. Hey, this is starting to sound like a Ponzi scheme. Yes. <laughs> Yo, yes. <laughs> Obviously, this was not sustainable because people wanted their money. They wanted their interest. And in 1908, the authorities began investigating the bank for embezzlement. Smart. <laughs> Ponzi had been working here for less than a year at this point, with the bank crumbling around him. Luigi packed himself a bag of cash and fled to Mexico. Yeah, all right, all right. He went the Jesse Ventura route. He took the warp skip and headed right to Mexico. <laughs> no. 
Now, after the fall of the bank, one employee ended up committing suicide, mm-hmm. and another employee disappeared after being accused of stealing $944.85 from a customer. Mm. Later on, people would come to believe that the fraud went deeper than just Luigi, and some believe Ponzi himself was deeply involved in the fraud because of what he will do much later in life, but they will never they never found out for certain. Sure. Now, for some reason... Ponzi actually remained in Montreal and ended up living and taking care of Luigi's wife and his four daughters. Whoa. (laughs) One reason for doing this is believed because Ponzi may have been dating one of Luigi's daughters, 17-year-old Angela. Oh, no. It's a different time. We're we're going to go back to shitting where you eat. (laughs) I'm just like, you're just going to take care of this guy's family after you abandon him? What the fuck? And you get the newest model of his wife, which is his 17-year-old daughter, <laughs> <Yeah>. Angela. <laughs> There's a lot of underage girls in this. It's terrible. But at this point, Ponzi had no job, and presumably the money he did have was dwindling fast, and also, obviously, he was afraid of being arrested or potentially facing deportation. Yeah. So the now 26-year-old Ponzi, in desperation, was about to make a decision he claims he would regret for the rest of his life. It was a Saturday morning on August 29th, 1908, when he went to the shipping firm that used to bank with Banco Zorosi called Canadian Warehousing Company. He was able to walk right in because he had been to this company so many times collecting receipts or handling other business matters. Mm. So Ponzi walked right into the empty office of the manager, Damien Fournier, headed right... Fournier. Fournier. So he's a Frenchman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're in French Canada. <laughs> He headed right for the desk and picked up the business's checkbook linked to the French-owned bank of... How do you think you say this? Hochelaga. Okay, we'll go with that. He tore the blank check from the very back of the checkbook and left as quickly as he could. Mm. That same afternoon, Ponzi filled the checkout for an unsuspicious amount of $424.58 and proceeded to sign it D. Fournier. He actually went to the bank of... Say it again, Jordan. <laughs> Hochelaga. Okay. I, is that even a French word? I have no idea. <laughs> Who knows? It, it I doesn't really sound don't like it. Hochelaga. But, but he went to that exact bank to cash it. He requested four $100 bills in American currency, but the teller told him that would not be possible. So he accepted 42 $20 bills, $3 bills, and the rest in coins. All right. Well, I mean, yeah. Ponzi was planning to make his escape back to America, but first, he needed to go on a bit of a shopping spree. He headed to men's clothing store RJ Took, or Took, one of the two, sure. and purchased two suits, an, overco- an overcoat, a pair of boots, a watch, a chain, $32 worth of shirts, collars, cuffs, ties, and suspenders. Oh, uh, he's never going anywhere. <laughs> he's, he's ran out of money now. You gotta shop, baby. You gotta shop. He loves shopping, dude. Yeah. But while shopping, the teller at the bank had grown very suspicious and contacted the police. Montreal detective John McCall then made his way to Ponzi's boarding house to speak with him. McCall asked Ponzi if his last name was Bianchi, which was the alias he had been using. Ponzi told him, no, it's Clement. Mm. At this point, McCall... (laughs) finally acknowledged that he was actually a detective. And before he could say anything more, Ponzi blurted out, I'm a guilty. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he probably would have got away with it if he didn't say that. Yeah. If it wasn't for those meddling kids. No shit. His meddling Catholic guilt, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Ponzi was obviously arrested, and upon search a search of his dwelling, they found the receipt for the forged check and two hundred eighteen dollars and twelve cents remaining in cash. Still, oh. he got a lot of shit for two hundred dollars. No yeah. kidding. Damn. So Ponzi didn't take too well to jail. At first, he curled up in a ball and stared at the wall, then decided to chew his towel to shreds. Mm. The guard then took him to the jail infirmary where Ponzi then began to try to climb up to the barred window. You you ain't getting out of there, Ponzi. (laughs) So the guards had enough of that and placed him in a straitjacket. After a few hours in the straitjacket, Ponzi convinced the guards that he was just having an epileptic seizure. They always blame it on epilepsy. (laughs) Well, I guess they didn't have no way to prove it at this point, so I guess he must have had it. So they allowed him to stay in the comforts of the prison infirmary for a while. Ponzi obviously would plead innocent, but it was useless because both the detective and the bank teller would testify against yeah, him. That's tough. That's two strong <laughs> witnesses there. He would have to serve his time at St. Vincent de Paul Penitentiary, which came with such comforts as mattresses made from sacks of corn cobs. Oh, that's going to contour to your body. <laughs> Oh, boy. So we've had three different seeding things oh. with weird objects placed in them. God, I'd way rather have seaweed than corn cobs. <laughs> tell, tell you what, I'm just going to sleep on that cement floor. Yeah, People don't know, if you run through a cornfield, it's like sharp. It'll definitely. cut you, yeah, dude. Definitely. So, yeah. Those are firm leaves. <laughs> His cellmates were fellow Italian immigrants, including a man named Luis Casillo, who was serving a three-year stretch, who Ponzi said was... One of those prowling petty sneaky thieves whose counterparts in the animal kingdom are the hyenas and the jackals. <laughs> wow. The reason Luis is important is because he makes another appearance later in the story. Oh my. Ponzi would joke later on that he had smashed so many rocks during his prison work that he could have paved Yellowstone National Park. (laughs) Within a few months, though, Ponzi received a workhouse promotion to a clerk for the jail's blacksmith shop, after which he was promoted to a clerk in the chief engineer's office, then finally promoted to the warden's office. (laughs) This fucker can charm his way to the top of jail. People, he's a charming son of a bitch. This was important because after earning the warden's trust, it would allow him to be released after serving 20 months for good behavior. Yeah, he's a climber. (laughs) Yeah. On July 13th, 1910, the warden presented him with his next paper to type up, his parole paperwork. How cute. Fonzley finally finally made his way out of prison with $5 in hand and a suit from the t- prison tailor shop, which Ponzi always said was grotesque. <laughs> but it didn't matter because Ponzi was free and was about to get the hell out of Montreal. And that's where we're going to pick up next week, fellas. Oh, oh he's going to be out of Canuckland? Oh, he's he's got- leaving Canada. I'm telling you, he... Like, if you can gauge from his travels already, he makes a lot of travels around America before he finds his stick. Yeah. So he's, he's all around stick. the god darn continent. What is yeah. it with the con men and basically being transients? Just they, traveling I mean, everywhere, accomplishing what they can. I think it's if you're in one place mm. too long, you're going to get fucking busted. Mm, I guess. And you kind of probably have to be a little bit narcissistic and sociopath mm. like you can't get yeah. attached to anybody the, the weird thing is is he's 
narcissistic and obviously greedy, but yet at the same point, he helps people a lot. Yeah, that is a good thing. So it's like, I don't know where this weird complex is coming from, but obviously I think he wants to be high class like his family lineage was. But uh, And he loves his mama. Yeah. Anybody bored, by the way, Google Ponzi schemes and look at the list. That has happened oh, since God. this time. Just like all the famous ones. Uh, I think the high, the record guy is like in the billions. Really? Oh, that yeah. was that Tom Petters guy, wasn't is it? it? From, yeah, I don't from know. here in Minnesota. I don't know. He's It's in the billions. It's like $8 billion. Yeah, I'm and pretty sure that was him. A lot of those are like hidden in fucking hedge funds. Yeah. So if you hear hedge funds, be a little weary yes, of it. definitely. Like you always see rich people. It's like, oh, I'm a hedge fund investor something yeah Uh, i'm like oof what does that that really mean it means you're a gosh damn crook (laughs) yeah everyone be careful with your money Mm. bury it so yeah um next week we're gonna keep following ponzi's uh adventure he's not done with jail i'll promise you that much and uh yeah he's gonna it's about i think episode three we're gonna get into the actual kick caboodle of his 8.5 million dollars so he's got a little ways to go yet He's still a young lad at this point. Oh, I love it. It's the it's the come up. It's the <laughs> yeah. first part of the Scorsese movie. It's Hell the best yeah. part. I'm wondering. I'm like uh, these immigrants. Do you think we would have made it? Or no, we'd have no, been no, dead. No, no. We, we would be we would be shitty dock workers until yeah. we fucking yeah. died early. <laughs> Pretty much of cirrhosis <laughs> that they wouldn't know how to. We can't afford doctors, so we, I would have came over in my tight Norwegian shorts and been ready to. Cody would have been at the doctor's office and been like, "I think my liver has psoriasis." <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. you li- I you listen, listen, you son of a bitch. <laughs> How'd you like your story? <laughs> it was amazing, okay. and also. Uh, I don't care how I'm feeling from here on out. I will always be here for the Jordis Faust yeah, episode because <laughs> because Cody, you're so bad at Christmas trivia. You're really oh, bad God. at it. I'm terrible. You're Fucking really bad, bad at it. I would have smoked Creep It Real by myself. <laughs> I don't oh, know. That is a challenge sm- for the next year. The smudges on my hands say different. <laughs> oh, uh, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Cody, fantastic story. Thank, Thank you. you. Fucking wonderful. Cannot wait for part two. Mm. Next week can't come soon enough. No. And I know it can't for our people either. And you can tell us about that by emailing what you think at <laughs> BumblebuttPodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? BumblebuttPodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at BumblebuttPod and Facebook and Instagram at BumblebuttPodcast. Guess what, guys? We have a Patreon. Hell yeah. It's patreon.com slash BumblebuttPodcast. <laughs> Cody, we are seven days away from locking down the... Well, not well. T- it's coming out today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are seven days away from locking down the Faustmas Prince for the mm-hmm. fifteen dollar incentive tier. Mm-hmm. Bowling for Satan. I've already got my brain cooking for next month, so you got to come get him now. If you if you like to support the show, um, otherwise you can get a sticker. Yes. Or just if you just feel like helping out the show, do that as well. Yeah, we'll tell. We'll shout it from the mountains. Trust me, this brain's cooking ideas, so the Patreon's not just going to be static. So You have until January on. 6th to get yep. the Faustmas print mm. if you haven't gotten it already. Mm-hmm. You're going to be real sad if you don't have the whole collection. <laughs> All right, we'll even it. sign it for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll oh, do yeah. whatever the fuck you want to. Oh, well, yeah. I'll, I'll pee on it. I'll pee on it if you're into that. If you want to piss-soak Jordis Faust print, I'll let <laughs> Damn, us know. It's, it's, all, it's all for you, baby. All right, uh, that's going to do it for all of us here. My name's been Adam. That's been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. That's been Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. And as always, have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Next time we'll see you is next year. <laughs> have Yay. a good one. <laughs>